This has nothing to do with the message, but as you think about the words of that song, I'm a vapor, I'm a flower that is quickly fading. It is a reminder, is it not, how brief this life is and how quickly it will be over? And as I was thinking about the words as Hannah was singing, uh, it brought this truth to mind. As quickly as this life is passing, in comparison to how long we will enjoy eternity, how important is it that we live right in the years that we're given here? And to not sway and to not compromise in order to make life more uh, palatable for ourselves, to make it more convenient for us. Uh, it's just, it was a, a reminder to me, and I, I hope that it'll be a reminder to you as well. Most of you know, if you've been here the last few weeks, and I think most of you have, that uh, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, dealing with a biblical description and a biblical perspective on love, what love truly is. And I am not going to labor this, and I'm not trying to just throw out a pot shot here, but we have been reminded this week in our community that the world that we live in really knows nothing about true love. The world really knows nothing about true love, biblical love, scriptural love. And so for a couple of weeks, we have looked at the aspects of biblical love, and we've dealt with many different things. But last week, we were in verse number 6 and 7. And here we watched as Paul continued his thoughts and said this, that charity will not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And I tried to remind us last week as... as uh, poorly as I may have done, I tried to remind us last week that love will never rejoice or celebrate when a person chooses to live in sin or to live in violation to God's word. You cannot claim to really love someone scripturally and biblically and be okay and be glad for them as they choose to live in disobedience to God's word. And so love will not rejoice in iniquity, but it will rejoice in truth. It will rejoice when you and I live according to the truth of God's word, it will rejoice when our friends rejoice, uh, live according to the truth of God's word. And then he said in verse number 7 that charity beareth all things. He reminded us that you and I will try to protect and we will try to cover and we will try to support a person when they have sinned and when they have failed. Not because we're trying to condone their sin, not because we're trying to hide it. You and I can never be enablers of it, but when someone sins and when someone fails, if they are truly repentant and they are truly sorry, then you and I are not going to seek to destroy them. We're not going to try to embarrass them, but we'll try to help them and we'll try to support them and we'll try to get them back on their feet as best we know how and try to get them back to where they need to be because that is what love will do. He said that charity believeth all things, meaning that we are going to believe the best in people and not the worst. We will not assume the worst of people, but we are going to assume the best of people, and that can be difficult sometimes. If we're honest, we know that that can be difficult sometimes. Then he said that charity will hope, that charity hopeth all things. You and I, even when we don't have reason to believe something will change or that something will get better in a person's life, we continue to hope that it will. You and I cannot afford to give up hope in a person's life because so long as a person is alive, God can still do a work and God can still change hearts. And we need to have that hope for people. And then he said, love or charity endureth all things. Love loves because that is what love does. 
you and I cannot allow ourselves to get so jaded in our thinking and so jaded in our thought process that we stop loving people because we don't want to any longer. And I don't know about you. I just want to throw this out real quick. I don't know about you, but I don't know how anyone could have sat through the last three messages and not been convicted repeatedly. When we see what true biblical love looks like, when we see what true biblical love resembles, I don't know about you, but I just know of myself, I I, so many times throughout the last three weeks have thought, man, I'm failing here. I'm not loving like I should be loving here, and and I'm failing here, and, and, and it's a terrible thing for you and I to not love as we should, and we're going to see that this morning. But before we do, I want us to spend a few moments developing a thought. Bear with me. I know that this will take a while and could be somewhat confusing, but just bear with me as we work through this because I want us to to think about something. In life, I trust you understand that there is no limit as to the things someone can argue about. Uh, Truly, you can argue about anything. And sometimes when people argue, there will never be a clear resolution to the argument or what we may say would be a clear winner to that argument. I'm going to be somewhat stereotypical for the next couple of minutes. I know this would not be true of everyone, but take two men for just a moment who love sports. Two men who love sports. Certainly two men who love sports can find something to argue about, can't they? They they could argue something like this. Who was the greatest player to ever play the game? Oh, it was this person. And the other person says, oh, are you kidding me? You think they're the best player to ever play the game? That person wouldn't have ever been anything if it wasn't for these people around them. And for a long time, two men can argue who the greatest player ever was. They can argue who the greatest team of all time was. They can uh, argue and, and, and debate as to the most impressive win or the most embarrassing loss ever, loss ever in, in the world of sports. They, they, they could argue something like this, the, great, the greatest coach to ever coach, and, and give it time, you'd hear them argue something like this. That was the ugliest uniforms I've ever seen. I mean, you can really hear two men talking about, oh, that was awful, that was ugly. I cannot believe they used to wear something like that. And, and you go, Really? Now, now listen, everyone may be involved in this kind of an argument. They may have a valid point, and and they may be able to make their case in in a pretty good way, but at the end of the day, it's their opinion. And, And there's no clear winner. There's no way to resolve that argument. Suppose two ladies really enjoy cooking. Now, again, I know somewhat stereotypical here, but but take two ladies who enjoy cooking. Could they find anything to argue about? Well, of course they could. First of all, they could argue something like this, the best kind of dish to make. Oh, it's got to be Mexican. Somebody else may say, well, it's got to be Italian. No, I think German food is the greatest. Well, I think uh, this kind of food is the best. I think American food is the best. There could certainly be that kind of an argument, correct? The argument could sound something like this. Well, you've got to have this if you're going to cook this. This is the greatest thing. It'll make life so much easier. And somebody may say, well, I don't think that's necessary at all, and I really like to cook with this. You're arguing about that? Well, yes, 
because that's what they might argue about. They might say something like this, well, this is the best place to buy the produce or to buy the meats. Somebody may say this is the best spices. This is the best way to, to season something. These are the best ingredients. And, and the arguments could last for a long time. And at the end of the argument, no matter how good of a case this person has made or this person has made at the end, it's still just an opinion. However, there are some arguments where people may have differing opinions, but at the end you can say, listen, you're wrong, you're right, or you're wrong and, and, and he's right. Or you could say something like this, you're both wrong and this is the correct answer, whether you like it or not. Well, how do we know? Well, think about this for just a moment. What is the most important aspect of a home? Somebody may say, well, the wiring is extremely important because if you don't have proper wiring, it could be a, a safety hazard. It could cause a fire and it could burn the house down, and that's exactly right. Somebody may say, try, try, try having a house without good plumbing. See how, see how important plumbing is. Well, yeah, plumbing's pretty important. I mean, I, I want it to all go when it's supposed to go. You know what I mean? Somebody may say, well, it's got to be the, uh, the building materials. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. And you could talk for hours, but, but what's the most important part of a home? The foundation. Listen, if the foundation's not right, that home in the long run doesn't stand a chance. The Bible indicates that. That if the foundation is faulty, the, the rest of the structure is faulty. So there is a right and a wrong answer. You understand how many different things can be debated. Many times there's not a clear answer, but sometimes in life there is a clear answer. And it doesn't matter what your point is. It doesn't matter what my point is. It doesn't matter what anyone else's point is or what their argument may be. This is the truth and this is the answer. Like it or not, this is it. Now I say that to, to get us to question this. When it comes to the scripture, are there sometimes points of debate and points of argument? Well, naturally, we know this to be true. We know that such is the case. We know that people can and do argue the scripture. And today, if we wanted to talk about all the different things that people like to argue and people like to discuss, we could be here for a long time. And so this morning, we're going to bypass that. And we're just going to talk about some things that I want us to, to, to focus on because of where the message is headed. This morning, I'd like to pose this question to you. And, and if we wanted to, we could open this up for debate. But I'm, I'm just going to throw this out here to you this morning and ask you this question. How many of us today would believe or agree to the idea or the notion that there is significance to preaching or that preaching is important. I trust that we would all agree that preaching is important. I do wish that more people thought it was more important. I wish there were more people who, who thought, you know, I need to make the, the hearing of the preaching of the Word of God more of a priority in my life. I can't convince everyone, but I do know this. According to the truth of Scripture, preaching is important. Well, how do I know? Well, it was the Apostle Paul who said this, that it is through the foolishness of preaching that men and women and children realize their sinful condition and realize their need of salvation. Do we realize that without the preaching, the declaration, the, the explaining of the Word of God that no one is going to hear the gospel and no one will see their need of salvation and no one will call upon Christ to get saved, there must be a messenger, there must be one who is willing to declare the truth of God's Word. 
So I would say preaching is important. It was the Apostle Paul who said to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And he told them what the preaching would do, that it would reprove and that it would rebuke and it would encourage and it would, and it would console. I mean, there is much to be accomplished through the act of preaching. So you and I cannot argue and you and I cannot deny that preaching is important. Let me ask you this. When it comes to knowledge and when it comes to having a working knowledge and a working understanding of the Scripture, is that important? It is. Now, again, some may argue that, like they may argue the importance of preaching. They may say it really doesn't matter that you know what the Bible says. Some may say it's really not important that you continue to to increase your learning and to increase your understanding. But, again, it was the Word of God in, in, in the words of Paul writing to Timothy who said this, that you need to be a student of the Word of God. You need to study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God that needeth not to be ashamed, one who can rightly divide the word of truth. How important is it that I personally study the word of God and have a working knowledge of God's word? It is of utmost importance. How important is it for you to personally be a student of the Word of God away from the preaching of God's Word? It is vitally important that you be a student of God's Word. You'll remember that there were believers throughout the Scripture who were, who were criticized and who were rebuked because when they should have been dealing with the weightier matters of the Scripture, when they should have been dealing with the weightier subjects of Scripture, it was referred to as meat. And whenever Paul says, I should have been feeding you meat, and that's what you should have been eating yourselves, I had to keep you on a liquid diet of milk because you couldn't handle the weight of your things of Scripture. You cannot read through the Scripture and come to this conclusion, well, you know, I don't think it's too important that I really know what the Bible says. No, the Bible is clear that you and I are supposed to mature. We're supposed to develop. We're supposed to to grow in our spiritual lives. And without that growth, we're missing out on a significant part of the Christian life. And it should be concerning to us that there are so many people who are not growing in their spiritual lives because it is of such importance. Let me ask you this. When Christ died on the cross, when he paid the price for our sin, when salvation was now made possible simply by faith in Jesus Christ, was that a big deal? Well, obviously it was. The most important event of all time. His death, His burial, His resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was of utmost importance. How important was it? It was so important that in the book of Acts, we read how that God, through the power of the Holy Ghost, enabled men supernaturally to speak in tongues so as to be able to preach the word of God to people in their own, in their own segment and in their own, their own race and their own language and, and their own tongue. God supernaturally in, in, in gifted these men through the power of the Holy Ghost to speak with tongues to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That indicates it was important. 
that indicates it was significant. Understand, please, that tongues of the Scripture and tongues of the charismatic movement today have never met each other. They're not even casual acquaintances. The, the, the tongues that, that we see in the Scripture, it was a foreign language that was understood by the hearers. What we see today by way of the, the modern-day charismatic movement, and what I mean is in the early 1900s when there seemed to be this resurgence of the gift of tongues and, and people speaking unintelligibly and people just babbling and, and rolling around on the ground and saying things that they had no idea what they were saying and no one else had any idea what they were saying. Let me just say this again. Uh, that wasn't scriptural. It never has been scriptural. It never will be scriptural. Uh, it's not even close to what the Bible is talking about. So when you hear somebody say something like this, well, I have a prayer language and it involves an unknown tongue, and, and every once in a while I speak in tongues, just know, uh, uh, we don't know what that is, but we do know this, it's not scriptural. Amen. Tongues, as defined in the scripture, was a language and it was understood by the hearers. And the scripture says, if the people didn't understand the tongue, don't say it. Amen. We could take it just a little bit further because it's dealing with the context. The scripture says in chapter 12, I believe it is, of 1 Corinthians, that there is only supposed to be three that would speak in tongues in any given service, and it required an interpretation for the tongues to be done, and it had to be one after another. It had to be done decently in order because God is not the author of confusion. Now, I'm not going to go off on a rabbit trail here, but I want us to understand something. What we see in the modern charismatic movement with 14 different people speaking in tongues and rolling their eyes in the back of their heads and screaming while they do that at the same time and no one's interpreting anything and it's just a bunch of babbling, the Bible says that that's not tongues. That is not what tongues is. But we cannot deny the importance of preaching, and we cannot deny the, the importance of knowledge and growing in our spiritual lives. We cannot even deny the importance and the significance of true biblical tongues in the days of Christ and in the apostles, or in the days of apostles is what I should have said. But notice what it says in the middle of verse number 8. It says, But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. What does it mean when Paul writes of prophecies? He is, he's writing about the, the act of preaching. He's not just talking about the act of foretelling future events, but he's talking about the act of preaching. And notice what he says. He says that there will come a day when prophecies will fail. Does that mean that there's coming a day when preaching will no longer be effective, when preaching will no longer serve a purpose, when preaching will just be a waste of time and preachers ought to just fold it up and, and get rid of it and not have anything to do with it? No, that is not at all what he is talking about. But whenever he speaks of prophecies failing, what he is saying is this, there is coming a time when the preaching of the Word of God will come to an end. It's going to stop. When is the preaching of the Word of God going to one day come to an end? It will only come to an end when this world has come to an end. 
So long as this world exists, so long as this world is populated by men and women, there is going to be a voice for God crying out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the need for repentance. There is going to be a voice of truth for God so long as mankind exists. But when this world comes to an end, and when this earth is destroyed, as the scripture says it will, understand, please, at that moment, every preacher will immediately be out of a job. Because once the eternal destination of every soul has been determined, preaching no longer serves a purpose. The souls who are bound to hell for eternity are bound there forever because they rejected the truth of God's word. And the souls who are enjoying the glory of heaven for eternity, their eternal, their eternal state is sealed as well. So therefore, preaching is not important. Notice what he says next after the prophecies, and they shall fail. He said, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. There's coming a day when tongues are going to cease. There's coming a day when a foreign language learned will not be necessary. There's coming a day when you'll not need to speak a different tongue or a different dialect or a different language. Why or how is there going to be a day when, when such a thing would take place? Because again, when eternity is established for every soul, every man and every woman, this is an amazing thought to consider, we'll all speak the same language. kind of fascinating is it not that when we all get to heaven we will all speak the same heavenly tongue and the same heavenly dialect whatever it may be so Paul says that the tongues are going to cease and notice what he said after that whether there be knowledge it shall vanish away again when eternity is established for every soul, there is no more need of knowledge. Because every soul will have perfect knowledge at that time. Whenever we enter into heaven, we will know everything we need to know, and we will have forgotten everything we didn't need to worry about that we said down here we're going to ask him about when we get up there. Many of us, have we not, have said something like this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him why. I bet we're not too worried about it when we get there. We're going to have all the knowledge and all the understanding we could have, and we're going to have everything that we need. We will have perfect knowledge. And even those, unfortunately, who are bound to hell for eternity, they will have full knowledge and full understanding of everything they rejected when they had the chance to accept so I find this interesting. You and I would all say that, that prophecy or preaching is important, correct? We would say that tongues, according to Scripture and what tongues truly is, it is important. And, and knowledge, it is of utmost importance. And, and we need to be growing. And all these things are true. But I find this amazing. As wonderful as all those things are, they're not the most important. Every one of those things are going to cease. Every one of those things are going to come to an end. 
Well, how do we know this? Well, if, if we look in verse number 8, notice what it says at the very beginning. Charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. Love is never going to fail. Love is never going to come to an end. Love is never going to cease. Think about this, please, for just a moment. Whenever you and I enter into heaven, we will not stop loving, though we will stop hearing preaching. When you and I enter into heaven, we will not stop loving, though we will no longer have a need for tongues. And, and when you and I enter into eternity and this world is done away with, you and I will not stop loving, though we no longer have a need for more knowledge. You and I, when we enter into eternity, that is when you and I will fully understand and fully recognize and be able to fully process what true love is. When you and I stand before Jesus Christ and we see the nail prints in his hands and we see the nail prints in his feet and we see the, 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 the place on his side where he was pierced, when we begin to see Jesus, when we place our eyes on him for the first time, we will truly know what love was and love is never going to fail Love is never going to cease. Once we enter into eternity, you and I will finally be able to love the way we were supposed to love. Amen. So this morning, if I were to say to you of the person's Christian life, what is of utmost importance? Somebody may say, well, you need to be exposed to the preaching of the Word of God, and we do need that. And somebody may say, well, you know, we need to get the gospel to all parts of the world. That is what we need to do. And yes, we need to do that, no matter the challenges and the obstacles that may lie ahead of us. And somebody may say, well, you know, it is so important that you and I grow in our spiritual lives, and we do need to do that. But of everything we need to do in our Christian life, you know what we need to do? Love people. Because love is the only thing that is eternal. Our expression of love, our manifestation of love, it is the only thing that we can do with people that will remain and exist even in eternity. Now, somebody may say, well, I don't know. I'd like to argue that point. I'd like to debate that point for just a moment. Okay, you can argue it, and you can debate it, and you can make some good points. And, and I would say amen to many things that you might say and many different points that you'd bring up. I would have to say something like this. That is exactly right. That is a valid point, and we need to be doing that. We need to be involved in that. But notice what Paul said in verse number 13 again in dealing with the subject of love throughout this entire chapter and, and how people manifest their love or express their love one to another. He said, and now, right now, abideth faith, hope, charity. Right now there is a thing called faith. And that is what the just are supposed to live by, correct? Amen. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You and I cannot live a Christian life without faith. 
You have to exercise faith in Christ for salvation. You have to exercise faith in your daily life to live the Christian life. And right now, abideth faith. But I want to remind us, whenever we enter into heaven, I don't need faith anymore and you don't need faith anymore because faith is finalized in that moment. Charity hopeth all things. And right now, Paul said, hope abideth. Even though I don't have a lot of hope right now in certain things, I'm supposed to still have hope in mankind and hope in humanity and in hope that the Lord would work and that the Lord would do something amazing, that the Lord would do something miraculous. It abideth right now, but whenever I enter into heaven, understand, please, I don't need hope at that point. And when you enter into heaven, you don't need hope. I need it now. And right now, Paul says, abideth charity the different attributes of charity that we've talked about. So we've got faith, and it's important. We've got hope, and it's important. And we've got charity. And no matter what we think is important, and though it may be important, notice what Paul said, that while these things abide and exist right now, he said the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is charity. The most important aspect of my life and the most important aspect of your life is charity it is love now understand please and, and remember please what we've talked about throughout this little mini series of uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 we have said from the very beginning that, that this was talking about the Corinthian believers and their relationships with one another in the church and how they loved each other and how they expressed their love one with another. The most important aspect of their Christian life was their love one for another because, as I said from the very beginning, what you and I cannot escape and what you and I cannot get rid of is this. No matter how hard we try, our love for others is a direct reflection of our love for God. How can I claim to love God and hate my brother? How can I claim to love one whom I have never seen when I do not love those whom I have seen? Why is it that charity is the greatest of all? Why is it that charity is the most important of all? Why is it that charity, it's everything about charity? Because it is love or charity, how I treat people and the reflection that it is of my love for God. It is that love that allows me to fulfill every aspect of the law. You remember this? Christ himself said, the greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is likened to it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You and I cannot get away from this truth. We cannot get away from this principle. As important as preaching is, as important as knowledge is, as important as discernment is, as important as witnessing is, as important as every one of those things are, if we don't love people and love God the way we're supposed to, then everything else diminishes in importance in our lives because without love it's sounding brass tinkling simple symbol it's empty it is essential 
It is the most important thing in my life that I love people. The only way that I can love people the way I'm supposed to is if I love God the way I'm supposed to love Him. But this is the most important thing because my love for God and my love for people and how I loved, that will be eternal. That will not fade. That will not fail. That will not pass away. Love is eternal. And in this messed up society, in this messed up culture that we live in, love is not accepting everyone and their lifestyle and being good with it and being okay with it and acting like it's fine and everything's good and we're not going to say anything. That's not love. What is love? We go back to verse number 4 and we read this. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Friends, that's love. That's what you and I are supposed to be about. As important as it is for you and I to hear the preaching of the Word of God, and it is important. If you come and you hear the preaching of the Word of God, but you don't love people, then the preaching of the Word of God did you no good. As important as it is to grow in your knowledge of the Scripture, if all you do is grow in your knowledge of the Scripture, but you don't love people like you should, then it's all a waste of time. As important as it is to get the gospel out to every tongue and to every nation and to every tribe, if we try with everything within us to, to get the gospel out, but yet we don't love our neighbor, we're failing in the Great Commission. I am supposed to love my family. I am supposed to love my neighbor. I am supposed to love my coworkers. I am supposed to love people in the manner in which the Scripture says, this is love, not what you're used to seeing in the world that we live in today. It's the most important thing. And here's what concerns me. I think sometimes in our religious circle and sometimes in our religious environment, we know that if we're honest, we're not loving people the way that we should. But we justify it. We excuse it. And we rationalize it. And we explain it away by saying things like this, well, that's just not my style. That's just not how I function. That's just not how I operate. That's not who I am. And essentially what we're saying then is this, though it may be the most important aspect of my Christian life, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not saying they're powerful because I preach them. Understand that, please. But you and I have heard three powerful sermons on what true love is because the Word of God is powerful. 
The Word of God is powerful, and the Word of God is convicting. And the Word of God says, Kyle, this is what love looks like. This is the most important thing. Of everything you need to look at and everything you need to work on, you need to be looking at your love and how you're, how you're doing in loving other people because that reflects how much you love God. And just understand this morning, you could put your name in there in, in that little blank, in that little slot. How much do you love according to scriptural love? This past week, in dealing with your family, in dealing with your co-workers, in dealing with your neighbors, did you love the way you were supposed to love? Did you love? If you opted out of love, if you chose not to love because the flesh didn't want to love at the time and at the moment, essentially what you said was this, that's not important. No. It was the greatest of everything you could have done it was of utmost importance and if we choose not to adhere to it if we choose not to practice it the way that we should we're hurting ourselves no matter what people want to argue no matter what people want to say the greatest of these is love is charity and we have to know what biblical charity is let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to see just how important biblical love is.